0: You're not going to fire me for running late today? Okay.
1: I'd rather
0: you were sitting up there than me. Okay. So visualize the merit field in front, and ourselves surrounded by sentient beings. And remember that the Buddha and all the holy beings are looking at you with complete acceptance and compassion. Mm. let's generate our motivation so why are we here why are we gathered what's the purpose not just the quote quote advertised purpose but in our own minds why are we here Our usual motivation for everything we do is to benefit ourselves, usually in this lifetime. But when we do a Dharma activity, we have to go beyond that kind of intention. So seeking a good rebirth in the future is one way to do it, but it's limited. Seeking liberation for ourselves is another upward step. But that's just taking care of our own spiritual well-being and forgetting about everybody else or helping them, but in a minimal way. So since we have a precious human life, and the ability to develop our potential in quite an expanded way, we should have an expanded aim as well especially to work for the benefit of all beings, the liberation of all beings from samsara. And since that intention, that aspiration doesn't uh, come naturally in our minds, We have to remind ourselves of it again and again throughout the day. And make it more than some uh, extravagant, exotic-sounding aspiration but really start to create the steps, create the causes to make it a reality. So let's make that our intention for being here today. So there's no better way to make that a reality than listening to Shandideva. Yeah, you're not going to find anything better. No. So we're quite fortunate to have come across this text. That When His Holiness uh, fled and went into exile, this was one of the texts he took with him. I understand why. (laughs) Okay. So that question, you know, to uh, ask ourselves again and again, you know, why am I here? Why did I come to teachings? Is it just because it's 10 o'clock on Thursday and that's what I do? (laughs) Yeah? Or is there some other intention there? And, you know, do we need to cultivate another intention? So it's important to really remember, you know, why we're practicing the Dharma. And uh, at, at the beginning, we may be really excited by the possibility of, you know, like... Seeing the Buddha and having a vision of Tara and Medicine Buddha talking to us or patting us on the head or, you know, something ex, something supernatural, exotic. Yeah. But when you think about it, something unusual, you know, but when you think about it, isn't having a kind heart To every single person that you encounter, equally as unusual, equally as spectacular, how many people have a kind heart or compassion towards everybody they encounter? Yeah, not many. Towards friends, yes. Towards people we don't like, no. Towards everybody else, who cares? So, you know, we need to, to really focus uh, on that. It is quite, quite remarkable, isn't it, you know, to be able to do that. Better than Uri or bending spoons. Yeah. Uri Geller comes to visit you, then all you have is a bunch of spoons you can't use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was the guy some, some years ago who, uh, you know, sit in one place and bend Spoons in another place, so he got a lot of recognition, but <laughs> a lot of Ben Spoons. <laughs> okay, so we've been on the chapter called Patience, but I translated it as Fortitude, because it's really... Uh, It's not about being patient and waiting for something. It's about developing inner strength. Yeah. And we really need that inner strength, the inner strength uh, to practice the Dharma, the inner strength to, uh, to not be shaken when we receive criticism, okay, or insult, and the inner strength to endure illness, and physical things that happen because with any of those things if we just get discouraged and and just kind of you know oh, huh yeah I just want to be comfortable and can't people be nice to me um, you know if every time we face some some hardship that happens and we get angry and then uh, yeah. Well, what are we doing? we're We're not actually practicing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter whether somebody deserves uh, our harm or not, deserves, okay. So uh, I was telling you yesterday, I'm reading a book by. Uh, somebody who got life in prison when he was 17. And uh, very difficult life, you know, as a child. No wonder he wound up in prison. Um, but he started to make a list of what he wanted to to do and to attain. And one of the items on the list was to uh, uh, pay his brother back it wasn't paying back a loan. It was his brother had beat him up several times and was very disparaging towards him, and it really had a bad impact on him. And he wanted his revenge. At the same time he wrote that, you know, he also said to himself, uh, if I'm wanting revenge, then I'm still hooked by what that person did." Yeah. And it's true, isn't it? You know, somebody harmed us, and we want some revenge, or we're holding on to some... They've got to acknowledge what they did. I don't want revenge. No, no, no. But they've got to acknowledge, at least verbally, what they did. Okay. Uh And... If we say that to ourselves, then we are still hooked by the situation. Okay. And the other person isn't hooking us, because what happened happened before. Our anger, yeah, is our feeling, feeling of entitlement is hooking us. Yeah. I deserve, you know, whatever it is we want. Acknowledgement. Yeah, at least... Acknowledge that what you did, you did out of hate and spite and you wanted to harm me. At least acknowledge that. <laughs> but when when you we sit and we ask ourselves, okay, somebody acknowledges that, uh, how does that benefit me? How does their acknowledgement benefit me? So what reasons do you come up with? Because we all want this. So how how, how does our mind think we're going to benefit from somebody else acknowledging how they harmed us?
2: The world seems safer.
0: How does it seem safer? Why does it seem safer?
2: Because this one person realized what they did and they're not going to do it again.
0: Oh, but they didn't say they're not going to do it again. They're just acknowledging that they did it.
2: Oh, just saying, yes, I did that, but without I'm sorry?
0: Or or even if they say I won't do it again? Are you sure?
2: More sure than if they hadn't said anything. Yeah, not completely sure.
0: Yeah, not completely sure. What else do we think we're going to get? In my mind, it's that feeling of, you know, I'm right— They have the blame. They have the responsibility. And the world is so much easier because I'm just a victim and I don't need to take responsibility for anything. Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: I think it just validates my story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. It validates our story and our anger. Uh, I'm right and my anger's right and my anger's my friend. So even if they say they're sorry, you know, we, we may kind of relax a bit, but another part of our mind is, hmm. glad you acknowledge it, you idiot, or whatever language we use. Yes.
1: Yeah, I guess there's a false sense of safety that if the person acknowledges that they hurt somebody and none of us would want to hurt somebody, that they would stop. <laughs> it doesn't work. Mm.
0: Yeah. I have one, one of my other little slogans is, sentient beings do what sentient beings do. And, you know, I mean, we even look at ourselves. How many promises have we made to people? And not even promises saying we will or won't do something, and we do it anyway. Yeah. but other people shouldn't notice that. <laughs> yeah it's quite interesting, you know when when we sit there, I want this from that person to really ask ourselves, what will it do for me? How is it going to benefit me? Yeah. So, I really like this one. Yeah, it just validates my story and my anger, and, yeah, I'm right. Yeah. So, uh, also in, in this book, you know, when the, this, uh, his name is Chris Wilson, you know, so he he got life imprisonment at age seventeen, uh, he's 19 now in the book. He did get his GED in college. That was a step forward. But he decided, okay, well, what do I really want in life? So his first list, what he called my master plan was, I want to go skydiving. I want to go, uh, um, you know, skiing. I want to go, uh, all these, Kind of, you know, go to a live football game and, uh, you know, meet all these women and, uh, and this kind of stuff. Okay, so he had a whole long list of all those things he wanted to his bucket list. Yeah, you know? and then, you know, at, at the end of it, he said, "Well, he thought, you know, well, those are the things you." earn you know those are the quote quote rewards for doing well but you got to do something to get those things you can't just sit there and say i want this and i want that oh he also wanted a black corvette yeah because that was the symbol of success so he realized yeah okay you know those things are nice but i've got to do something to get them So what am I going to do? And then, you know, he started thinking more deeply. Yeah, Of course, it it still came to what am I going to do, which is a step in the right direction. But I think it's even good to dig deeper of what kind of person do I want to be? because we can't do all those things to get what we want unless we become a certain kind of person you know so if we keep our own destructive habits we're going to act in the same harmful ways so i i thought that was interesting and i'm curious in the book i'm not very far to see how he keeps revising his master plan as he starts to look deeper about, you know, what, how does he want to live his life. So I was thinking that it's very similar to Dharma practice. We make a lot of aspirational prayers. Yeah? There's the one to be born in the pure land with Amitabha, there's, uh, Tara, you know, the prayer to Tara, to Mummy Tara. There's the King of Prayers. There's all sorts of ones, you know, Vasubandhu's eleven, uh, or 10, 10, huh? Yeah, uh, the, there's the, I don't know, he calls them great vows as aspirations. Anyway, Vasubandhu's ten things, all the, all these things, you know, and we aspire for, but do we really sit down and ask ourselves, what do I need to create the causes for those things? Yeah, because aspiring for certain fi- uh, spiritual aims is one thing, creating the causes for them is another thing. Yeah, we need the aspirations because the aspirations give us direction in our life. But then what am I going to do? So it comes down to, uh, you know, what His Holiness says, praying is not enough. We need action. So what do we need to do in our lives to put the Dharma into practice? You know, how do we purify our mind? How do we create merit? Now, what in the world are we going to do with our anger? Um, because our anger is, you know, this is a big problem. How are we going to have compassion for all sentient beings if we continually get angry and upset and irritated and bugged and bothered and enraged and frustrated? There's lots of words, yeah, with anger. So it's something to look at. What are we going to do?
2: About even if they apologized, how will that benefit us? So a lot of um, like African Americans are wanting the government to acknowledge slavery formally, mm-hmm. and then hopefully to apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, should they just drop their request because it seems to be a step towards reconciliation?
0: Yeah, there's in in something social like that where it isn't a personal thing, one on one. You know, uh, it is a step towards reconciliation. Because that's how all of society functions. With you've been done wrong, you somebody apologizes. That opens the door for reconciliation. But when we're talking about ourselves as dharma practitioners, not as ordinary people who uh, that that just want this igno- recognition, you know. Um, But as Dharma practitioners to ask ourselves, how does this benefit my Dharma practice? How does this get me closer to my spiritual goals? Okay. So somebody harmed me. Yeah. Does their acknowledging their harm or even say that they're sorry they did it and they won't do it again? Does that alleviate our anger? Does that do give, you know, do something to increase our merit or purify our mind or give us long life to practice more? Or is that more something that in a worldly way of, of thinking, um, and in a societal way of thinking, um, you know, would work, okay? Because some things that would work for a group of people in a worldly context, you would not apply to a Dharma practitioner, okay? So I know for myself, when I really start asking myself, you know, according to to what my real aims in life are, how does somebody else's apology uh, benefit me? You know, I go through all of my things, you know. Uh, I never said it'll make me feel safer. I never said that. But, you know, it's like, yeah, they're acknowledging that they harm me. Well, how does them acknowledging that harm me? I mean, benefit me. Yeah? Yeah doesn't give me long life. doesn't give me dharma realizations. It doesn't increase my compassion. It doesn't purify my negative karma. Yeah. What, what benefit is it? Because everything that, that I want to, to develop in life is something that I have to do. You know, nobody else can create merit for me, nobody else can purify for me. So, you know, if any of these things help that, that's one thing. But but I find usually not too much that other people do does. I think it will, but when I really ask myself, I can't find a really good intention, you know? And uh it, it it's like Yeah, I want some validation that my anger and hurt feelings are correct and that somebody else is responsible for them. Yeah, like you said, I am the innocent victim. Yeah. And it's like, how, you know, how long can we go through life playing the innocent victim thing? It sure feels good, doesn't it? You know, I'm not responsible at somebody else. But where does it get us? You know? It just uses up a lot of tissue. <laughs> and wastes a whole lot of time. So I'm not saying that we suppress, you know, our anger. I'm not saying that. Yeah, but to really keep investigating, you know, what is it when I'm angry that I really want? And is this something somebody else can give me, or is this something I need to develop in myself? Yeah, like the feeling of safety, you know? can I develop a feeling of safety in myself? And usually we say, no, safety is some external thing. And then I think of the the Buddha's cousin, Devadatta, who, you know, released this wild, mad elephant with the, the anticipation that the elephant would charge at the Buddha and stomp on him and kill him. You know? And the Buddha wasn't afraid, and the Buddha wasn't angry. You know, And the Buddha didn't feel unsafe when he looked up and there's this elephant charging at him. And I thought, what is it that would give somebody the ability to not be frightened in that situation? Frightened or angry or whatever it is. What, what is the realization that would give someone that ability? What do you think? You can't control the elephant. I mean, the Buddha wound up controlling the elephant. But how did he control it? Yeah, by having love and compassion for the elephant. Look at the power of compassion and love to make you feel safe. What about the realization of emptiness? That there's no self there to be trampled, no inherently existent concrete self there to be trampled. And even if the Buddha did trample you and you die, even if the elephant (laughs) did trample you... (laughs) Even if the elephant did trample you and you died, what would enable you to die without uh, panic, upset, fear? Yeah? Isn't that the realization of emptiness? Yeah? So rather than uh, uh, placing my bet on something that I cannot control, how about making at least some effort to develop the qualities in myself that will really bring about that feeling of safety or that feeling of calm. Hmm? So, verse 14, where we left off last time, it's a good follow-up to that. Shantideva says, There is nothing whatsoever that is not made easier through acquaintance. So, through becoming acquainted with small harms, I should learn to patiently accept greater harms. Okay? So, you know, the more... We can just accept and, uh, not, you know, crumble in front of small harms. Then we're getting acquainted with that. We're seeing that extreme heat or extreme cold or an insult or uh, uh, some negative feedback or anything like this, that none of that really destroys us. It, it only becomes something important to us because of our self-centered mind. Yeah? And so you just say, actually, if I look at the situation itself, it's not so bad. It's my mind that makes it something awful. Yeah? Did any of you read what, what Sherry wrote that I posted on the website about how she's dealing with her illness? You need to read that. It's it's really good how she is showing. Yeah. And, and she says, you know, when I don't watch my mind and I let it go south and get really upset about being ill, or really uh start taking for granted my health, and then of course the disease gets worse again, you know, because it's one of these up and down kind of diseases. Um, you know, she said, then I, I I increase my own misery. Yeah, So even with physical pain, yeah, there's the physical pain, but so much of our rea- our suffering from physical pain isn't physical suffering, it's mental suffering. Yeah, it's the mind. That, that goes to, you know, you have some small thing, and it's like, I'm going to die from this. Yeah, by next week, I'm going to be dead. Or, you know, this is going to be serious, and I have to go to the hospital, and I have to pay a lot of money, and it's really going to hurt, and it's going to inconvenience everybody, and I'm a burden, and I don't deserve it anyway, but they should help me anyway. And your mind starts spinning out. Yeah, yeah. So there's the physical pain, and then there's the mind spinning. Yeah, and the you know we the physical pain is there, but to really look at it, and how much does this actually hurt, and how much is it my mind making a story about it that throws me into this? You know that that uh, increases my suffering. Okay. So, you know, being acquainted with small harms, then I should learn to patiently accept greater harms. So it's like with anything. You start small, and then our capacity increases. Yeah. So, start small. Figure out, yeah, when something happens, can I endure this without flipping out? You know, whether it's uh, somebody looking at you in a certain way that you don't like. (laughs) You know? Why are they looking at me like that? Or if it's, you know, your little toe hurting or something. So I'm not saying ignore stuff and don't go to the doctor. I'm saying look at, at the mind that's spinning out. That creates more suffering. Okay, so this verse, verse 14, is one of the very famous verses that uh, Shantideva says. Yeah. Okay, verse 15. Who has not seen this to be so with tri- trifling sufferings, such as the bites of snakes and insects, feelings of hunger and thirst, and with such minor things as rashes? okay. So, we've all felt hungry, right? Can, can you remember times where you just had the feeling of hunger and then you just acknowledged it and that was it? And times when you had the feeling of hunger and your mind said, oh my God, I've got to eat something. I'm so hungry. This is really painful. Yeah? I know for me, when I do uh, noonay. I feel hungry, but I just kind of accept that's the way it is for this day. Before I do Nune, I'm afraid of being hungry. But when I actually am doing the practice and I'm hungry, it doesn't bother me. Go figure that one. Yeah. How the actual experience is, is not as bad as we thought it was going to be. How many times in our life has that happened? <laughs> yeah. So the bites of snakes, I, I guess he's talking about, like, our snakes. He's not talking about pythons and things like that. Insects, you know, do we manage the tick bites or do we... Every time we get a a bite by a tick in in springtime when the ticks are hungry, do we have to mention it to other people? (sighs) Yeah, and count who has more tick bites. Yeah, you know how springtime is? Yeah, we're all like that. Yeah, And half the time there's no tick there. (laughs) Have you found that, too? I mean, I'm sure I feel something crawling there. (laughs) So, you know, if I find a tick, that's good. You know, I can take it outside. I'm not saying don't look for the ticks. Yeah. But how much do we make a big deal about the ticks in the springtime? Yeah. Yeah and how much do we look forward to mid june when we don't have to think about the ticks anymore until you get one or two late bloomers <laughs> okay so feelings of hunger and thirst minor things such as rashes you know all the the different things that that disturb our mind huh? So it's true. you know, if we get used to those, then it it doesn't hurt so much. Sixteen, I should not be impatient with heat and cold. wind and rain, sickness, bondage and beatings. Wait a minute. Okay, heat and cold, yeah, as long as it's moderate heat and cold. Bondage and beatings. yeah. But if you think about it, okay, I should not lack fortitude with heat and cold. Yeah. Can we endure a little bit of heat and a little bit of cold? Yeah. There was one one (laughs) skit after a retreat in Mexico uh, that they did. Some of you, you may have been there, and, you know, one person getting up in the middle of the session, closing the window, then another person getting up and opening the window, and then somebody putting on their blanket, and somebody else taking off their blanket, and, you know, you're always trying to change it. So heat and cold, wind and rain, you know, it's getting colder now, and like, oh, I want the heat of summer again. Oh, but. Summer was way too hot. (laughs) You know, summer was way too hot, and now the mornings and evenings are cold. You know, where's the perfect temperature I want? (sighs) Okay, wind and rain. Yeah, there's flooding in New York. The whole subway system is shut down. Hurricane Ida. You know, it went through Louisiana and created, uh, New Orleans was, I'm sorry, New Orleans was, did I say it right? Yeah. So it was totally without electricity. Yeah, and then Ida continues to dump rain and New York is, yeah, the whole subway system. They showed a picture of the subway station with this torrent of water coming over the the edge and you know how the subway stops and the doors open and you're supposed to go out? And to get out, you would have to walk through and this was not just a trickle; it was a torrent of water. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe somebody will believe in climate change now. I don't know. So, uh, you know, wind and rain, sickness. Okay, a cold I can endure, but anything. Well, I can't really endure a cold. You know, I want my hot ginger and honey. I want to stay in bed and sleep. Yeah. And I. And you know, I should. Otherwise, I'm going to spread the whole cold throughout that whole abbey. So please, you know, rest and stay in your room. But then when you're getting better and you're no longer contagious, that's time to come out. Yeah. Okay, bondage and beatings. Yeah, we hear many people experiencing bondage and beatings. And the Tibetans (gasps) under the Chinese occupation, you know, did and do. And how can we make our own minds strong to endure that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay so to do that we have to start by enduring the small the small things okay for if i am in other words if i am disturbed by all these things the harm they cause me will increase so i think of that one monk who said to his holiness his greatest fear when he was being tortured was that he would lose compassion for the guards. Yeah. So if you have a mind like that, the amount of suffering you experience from the bondage and the beatings is going to be much less than if, you know, your your self-grasping is really powerful. And then, you know, it's just like it. It becomes too much. yeah. And I think in today's world, because we are so much more comfortable in many ways than people were in the past, that it is harder for us to endure things that people in the past easily endured because it was known as that's just the way it is, you know? So you may not like it, may not feel good, but that's the way it is. We're all in the same boat. We won't make a big deal about it. But now we're so much, so comfort oriented that when we're the least bit uncomfortable, it becomes much, much bigger deal. Okay. Verse 17. Some, when they see their own blood, become especially brave and steady. but some when they see the blood of others, faint and fall unconscious. Okay So Shanti Deva likes the war images. okay that not, may not work for all of us. You can make up an image that that works for you. But the meaning of this image is I think quite powerful. So some people, they're fighting in the war, yeah. They get injured by the quote-quote enemy. They get injured and seeing their own blood makes them more determined to fight. You know, they, they aren't, uh, inhibited from <laughs> doing their task at hand, uh, because they see their own blood. In fact, it makes them more, makes them stronger to fight the enemy. Okay. Then other people, They're fine. They aren't injured. But they see somebody else bleeding, and they faint. Okay? So two opposite things, yeah. One person, their own injury, it makes them stronger in what they're doing. The other person, even seeing they're okay, but seeing somebody else is having a problem, then they fall apart. Okay. So the analogy is, in case we don't get it, which sometimes we don't, um, is when we experience hardship ourselves to, to say, okay, you know, I'm fighting my, I'm fighting, quote, quote, my own anger. I'm work, you know, I'm working to overcome my own anger. And I see the, the pain of doing that which is that, you know, I have to give up my, my story and my anger, yeah? And I have to give those things up. And, uh, y- you know, that is suffering for for my mind that is very self-centered and self-grasping right now. But that's going to make me more determined to overcome. Yeah. Uh my sensitivity to insults and feedback and small harms. Yeah, so you use that to make you stronger. Yeah. Whereas uh, other people, they're okay, but their friend gets criticized, yeah, or somebody else, even a stranger, gets criticized, and they get really upset about it. Okay. And blame, 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 blame. Okay. So Shandideva is he is really challenging us here, you know. When you meet difficulties, step up to the plate. Uh-huh. Somebody wrote me an e- email, <laughs> my sister actually, and she said, I don't envy Joe Biden right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The number of crises going on in the country at one time are amazing. Plus, all these people are just blaming him. You know, it's like, I don't get it. Situations are complex. There's so many factors. But people want to find one person to put it all on as if that person were the only sole cause of, you know, what happened in Afghanistan. And as if, you know, people thought, how did they envision uh, a withdrawal going anyway? Yeah, that it was going to be nice and orderly. Everybody lined up at the taxi stand. The taxis came regularly, took you to the airport. There was no line. They looked at your papers and your papers, of course, were good. They let you in. You got on the plane and bye bye. You know, and everybody waited in line. Everybody smiled at you. Yeah. They they all trusted that, that uh, y- y- you know, you weren't a terrorist and you weren't lying. And, yeah, I mean, is that how they expected a withdrawal to go? When in military history <laughs> has that ever happened? You know, not that I'm an expert in military history. I know nothing about it, but... You know, wars are messy. But, you know, somebody wants to put all the blame on one person. And so you think of, like, anybody who's in the, the president, presidential role, what they have to put up with. You know, all these people blaming you for things that are not your responsibility, all these people accusing you of things that you didn't do, Yeah, and you have to just, that cannot get to you. If that gets to you, yeah, and it got to Trump, for example, then, you know, you react and then it becomes, everything becomes a personal vendetta and no real governance of the country occurs. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want that job. (laughs) Yeah, but you look at the stress somebody is under, and you wonder, you know, how, how do they do it? Okay, so what these two verses, 16 and 17, are saying to us is, you know, build up your strength uh, gradually. And when you experience hardship, make that, may that uh, increase your determination to overcome your anger and sensitivity and feeling of entitlement and self-centeredness, basically. Yeah. Because we, we remember that self-centeredness is the enemy, not the other sentient being. The self-centeredness are, is. And then when you get really, really good. Yeah. Then when people harm you. You say, oh, good. Yeah, what a fantastic opportunity to practice. So, of course, here too, start with small harms. It's not masochistic. Do not go out looking for suffering so that you can look like a martyr. Okay, there's no martyrs in Buddhism. Yeah karma karma makes it so that you cannot be a martyr yeah yeah because what are martyrs do? martyr being a martyr is very consoling you know i'm famous i'm suffering but i'm going to be famous and they're going to talk about me in generations to come and they might even build a statue <laughs> yeah because i have suffered so much <sighs> okay and then again, you know, when you see that wish come in the mind, you say, "Okay, what good does that is that going to do me? I'm a martyr, and everybody proclaims how I was unfairly treated, but how I was so brave and endured it all, and they built the statue for me. Yeah, and after I'm dead, people will go look at that statue and say." Look at her,
1: so brave.
0: Yeah, and what good is that going to do me? Yeah? What kind of legacy do we want, you know? You want a statue? Yeah? You want a biography, a book about you? What do you want? So uh you know this is why I say uh, karma does not allow us to cheat. We can do as many self-centered trips as we want to, but karma is, you know, karma is the thing that that cause and effect. It's just cause and effect. Cause and effect cannot be overcome. Yeah? The over, the only way to deal with things is stop creating the causes of suffering and start creating the causes of happiness. Yeah. I mean, who, you, you disagree with cause and effect. You know, why should I suffer because of this? Who are you going to go complain to? Yeah. You're going to go complain to the Buddha. Hey, Buddha, you, you thought about cause and effect. I don't like this system. Yeah, I want to be able to drink and drug and sleep around and have no negative con- consequences. You know, why did you make up these ten non-virtues? And what's Buddha going to say? I didn't make them up. You plant a seed, and the seed sprouts into the kind of plant that it had the potential to, to become. I just described the whole thing. I didn't create it. Yeah? This is one of the problems with a theistic religion. Yeah? But in Buddhism, you know, Buddha didn't create the whole system. Out of compassion, he described it to us. Okay, so we need to become especially brave and steady. Yeah. Joan of Arc, you know? Everybody wants a woman's role model. I'm Joan of Arc. You really want to be Joan of Arc? (laughs) Yeah? You know who Joan of Arc is, yeah. So, but who wants to be Joan of Arc? It's like, ugh. You did it one time? Mm. Why did you want to be Joan of Arc? You were going to conquer all the heretics?
1: Uh huh.
0: She was so great. Schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Schizophrenic?
1: She said schizophrenic. Oh. <laughs> yeah. When I was 14, she was, you know, this amazing, strong, powerful woman who stood by her convictions and couldn't be deterred. I mean, that was a, a very shallow read of the story, I will say. It was a 14 year old read of the story. Yeah. But I was very inspired by her. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, I'm glad you gave that up. (laughs) Don't come
0: walking in here with your shield. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know who my hero was as a little kid? Helen Keller. I just thought, wow. You know, how amazing she is. Who were your heroes when you were little? <laughs> Mighty Mouse? <laughs> what? Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew. Oh, yeah, she was a good one, too. Billy Jean Huh? Jean King. Who?
1: The great Jane tennis came. star. The great women's tennis star. That yeah. Billy Jean King. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> 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 you, you're going to come in with a cross, and she's going to come with a stake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah that that's what's set up as a role model to be like Jesus, you know. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: So it, it's interesting. It tells us something about. Our our conditioning as kids, you know how we thought. Yeah, who did you admire? Annika <laughs> fr- Fri- S- S- French, French. French. And, and then To Kill a Mockingbird.
3: Yeah, he really changed my idea of what a hero was. He was a dead um, shot who never killed. And he gave his life to stand up for uh, Tom Robinson. So yeah. I was so touched by that book. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Verse 18. These reactions come from the mind, being either steady or timid. Therefore, I should disregard harm's caused to me and not be affected by suffering. So when we first read this, it sounds like Shanti Deva is, you know, uh, being the, uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, disregard all harms. I'm going to not, I'm going to be Joan of Arc. I'm going to be Jesus, you know, and like nothing's going to conquer me. And, and then we look at that and we say, yeah, really? I'm going to try and do that. That's too much for me. Or if I did it, I would only be stuffing my pain. I wouldn't be really dealing with it. Yeah. So the why does he speak like this? It's to uh, help us to imagine being able to endure these kinds of things. Okay? Because we can't do anything that we can't imagine doing. So Shandi Deva says it, to help us, you know, well, yeah, okay, I want to be like that. And then you have that aspiration, and you think, you imagine yourself doing it, and then you go back to, what do I do to create the causes to be able to do it? Okay? And one of the causes is dealing with whatever emotion is coming up. It's not stuffing it. Okay? So... It, it means we really have to, uh, to look at the trips our mind is going on. Okay, so depending if the mind is steady or timid. yeah, And uh, you know one thing that uh, when you... After a while you can begin to see patterns in what gets you upset... And I find that one of the things that gets me upset is that I wasn't expecting this thing to happen at the time it happened, whatever it is. So it isn't even the severity of what happened. It's the fact that I didn't have it in my in my calendar for what was going to happen today. <laughs> and it came out of the blue. And like, ooh, now I need to readjust to see things in a very different way. Okay, so uh, so then, okay, if you know that's something that really gets to you when things happen that you weren't expecting, then you know to, to try, and every morning when you wake up, remind yourself things may happen today that I didn't expect and i'll just pivot and adjust to it yeah because if you think about it almost every day things happen that we didn't expect to happen that day almost every day that's true okay so again as we start with the small things we you know and we see that we already know how to pivot on many things and accept them that you know when they came out of the blue and then you know when something new that's upping the ante a bit comes out of the blue instead of our first reaction being a freak out it's like okay this happened but how you know how do what kind of mind do i need to have right now that's in accord with the dharma to handle this in a skillful and kind way, and wise way. Yeah. What do I need to have in my mind to deal with this? And then, you know, if you've practiced beforehand, then it's like, okay, I know. And you call up those qualities to deal with the situation. mm mm-hmm. Therefore, I should disregard harm's caused to me and not be affected by suffering. And, you know, when things happen to me and I go, I, I think of my teachers and what they encounter every day. Yeah. People usually think, oh, it must be so nice to be a Dharma teacher. You get to sit in front and people give you apples and oranges, and they say nice things about you, at least to your face, and uh, who knows what they say behind your back, and they, you know, like, oh, it must be so nice. And then, you know, you watch. You watch, or at least I watch sometimes what my teachers went through, you know, and how how they went out of their way to do things for people. And then those people completely, you know, did who knows what. Or what they gave up, Yeah, my, You know, when I think of, of Zopa and Lama Yeshi, my first two teachers, you know, what they gave up to come to the West to teach. Yeah, because they could have been in India, you know, with people who spoke their own language, Who knew how to treat lamas. Yeah. Life wasn't great at that time in India, but it, you know, they were, you'd be with your own people and, you know, you would receive offerings and it would be nice. And instead, you know, they came to the West with these nutty people as disciples. Yeah. Or not even as disciples. I mean, we walked into the first, the first Dharma teaching. You know, I mean, this was the hippie era and what people looked like, you know. And you had your, well, the guys had their dreadlocks or their hair, long hair and, you know, unshaven and dirty clothes and patched jeans and, you know, and, and, Turbans, I mean, when you, when they, when people went, when people went to India, people got really, you know, everybody dressed (laughs) really differently, you know. I, yeah, me too. So anyway, (laughs) yeah, and you just kind of walk in and it's like, you know, no respect at all, just kind of with your hands crossed. Okay, well, this is kind of neat. Some guys from Tibet, that's kind of like Shangri-La. What do they have to say for themselves? And then they start talking, and it's like, wait a minute, I can't understand them. Don't they speak English? Everybody in the world should speak English. It's the international language now. But now i got to listen to them through a translator. I don't like that. Or this one speaks English. But what kind of English is that? Yeah, yeah. Your Lama likes something, and he says this is fantastic. Fantastic. What in the world, you know? And when you ask him a question about shouldn't we be angered, angry at Hitler, he says he means well, dear. Huh? Yeah. And like this is j- this is pretty weird. Yeah, You get called in for puja and people are, you know, ringing bells and playing drums and the little kids, the little monks are playing in the back and the older monks in the front are being very serious and singing with deep voices like this. And, you know, well, I thought we were all supposed to meditate into sublime samadhi. And they had to deal with us, yeah. And you know, when I thought of what they gave up and the hardship they went through to venture into our very barbarian world, yeah. When you look at the, you know, the 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 uh, qualifications for a central land. Yeah, America at that time lacked most of them. Yeah. And yet they did that. Why did they do that? Huh? So, you know, when I th- would think of that, then that would give me much more courage. Okay. And also, Lama had a hole in his heart. Yeah, he had some, yeah, literally a whole something. I don't know how to, what his the diagnosis was, but the doctors were amazed that he was still alive. And then he wound up dying quite, quite young, you know. But. So anyway, you know, sometimes thinking, I guess Joan of Arc would do it for you. Uh, you know, uh huh. Past tense. Past tense. Would have. Okay. So now, you know, sometimes when we think of what other practitioners have gone through in the past, it it can be very helpful to our mind. Okay. The Tibetans write all these hagiographies where, you know, the practitioners are, things are magical and mystical and the problems they encounter are, you know— Still, if you look at it and you think of what they went through, it can give you, you know, more steadiness. Yeah. I prefer the kind of uh, biographies that aren't hagiographies that really tell you what it was like to be that person. So, uh yeah, but you find those with people in different situations. Yeah. And that can, you know, give us some courage in the situation. And to overcome our own difficulties. Okay, 19. When, uh, Even when the wise are suffering, their minds remain very lucid and undefiled. For when war is being wa- waged against the disturbing conceptions, much harm is caused at the time of battle. Okay. So if you're a wise person, you understand the four truths well. So you understand what to expect out of samsara and what the causes of your dukkha are in samsara. Yeah. Then even when you face difficulties, your mind can remain lucid and undefiled. Yeah. Because you're aware that when, uh, you are dealing with the self-centered thought, the afflictions, the self-grasping ignorance, that there's, it's, there's going to be difficulties in that. Yeah. Because those things are very deeply rooted in our mind. They're not going to roll over and, and say, uh you know after we do one meditation session, you know, our self-centeredness is not going to be gone. And our anger is not going to be gone. And our greed and our jealousy are not going to vanish. So, you know, when when you're aware of that and that it's going to take work and 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 time, but you have you you're very clear about the direction you're going. You know, and you know that's what you really want to do. And you also know that in samsara there's nothing else to do except get reborn again and again, and you're done with that. Okay? So, you know, if if you have that understanding, then it gives your mind some lucidity, and, uh, you know, you're able to see things clearly. The mind's undefiled. It was like... Okay, this is samsara. This is what's going to happen. And I will remain undeterred and I will deal with it somehow. You know, and if it gets too much for me, I'll downgrade a little bit. You know, I'm not going to, if it gets too much for me, I'm not going to throw in the towel and say I quit. I'll just downgrade a little bit and deal with as much as I can. And learn from it, and re, you know build my confidence and determination. Okay? So therefore, I should disregard harms caused to me and not be affected by suffering. Mm-hmm. So I used to hate when uh, I was little and I was unhappy about something. When my parents said, Other children have it much worse. You know, I don't know if your parents said that to you. It's like, What do you complain? What are you crying about? Other kids don't even have what you have. Yeah. So stop crying. I hated that. You know, it's like, But you're not recognizing my pain. You know, And my pain is my pain, and I feel it, and it needs to be recognized, because I'm so unhappy. I just had a birthday party, and it's going to be one whole year until it's my birthday again, and I am so miserable. Okay, so I hated when they said that to me. Okay. But I look back now, and I understand (laughs) why they said it. And I understand that if I had had any, you know, brains at that time, I would have, you know, looked at the situation of other kids and realized how fortunate I was and stopped complaining. Yeah. But I don't think I saw, I didn't see so many other people suffering. I saw other kids getting what I didn't have. And you know how we always compare ourselves to the people we're around. So... Yeah, but dharma is asking us to leave behind the conditioning we had as kids that didn't work and take up a new perspective, a new kind of conditioning. Okay, questions, comments?
1: From that last bit, you said a few of us watched the um, documentary yesterday that you recommended about the, what's it called, the Neutral ground, the neutral ground. Yeah, where I, I think he just did a brilliant job of painting the whole the whole scene, right? And realizing, and so so for people who didn't watch it, it's it's a documentary where um, a young man is trying to understand what is the angst around taking down these s- monuments to the Confederacy in the city of New Orleans, which is sixty eight percent African American, like. Some people were testifying, this is a no brainer. Why are we even having this conversation? And so he does a lot of historical, you know, he talks to people, looks at the historical research and so forth. And, and the, um, you know, the, um, I did not know this. Now, I grew up with this story, I believed this story. My mother believed this story. Of the lost cause. Of the lost cause. Her mother believed that story. It was taught, it was handed down, it was glorified, it was, no matter what, you could even look at the racial situation and say, I do not believe this, I do not support it, I am totally for civil rights, and blah, 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 but still hold this other story that I learned yesterday, or when I saw the video before, that this was a concocted story by the daughters of the confederacy that this is the way we will describe our history this is the way we will describe the pain and i do know family stories of the pain of the loss of all these people being killed and our whole land that we lived on being devastated and destroyed for a long time right so there's all this stuff that's a part of it Mm -hmm. and to just come to realize that every bit of it is a lie Every bit of it is a lie for 170 years or something like that, that the people you love told you, and you believed them, and they learned it from the people they loved, and they believed them, and so forth and so forth and so forth. So even, you know, just just my own Dharma experience all these years has been to uncover not only to put down the perspectives that we make and that we create as a child but you don't even know you have them. Yeah. That it's the 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 Dharma awareness that um, helps us keep going deeper and deeper and deeper that some some little belief that you adopted at the age of who even knows what is the lens through which you're viewing the whole world. Yeah. And you don't even know it. So that just what you said about the Dharma is asking us mm-hmm. to leave behind the conditioning we had and take up a new perspective. the value of long-term practice is being able to just go layer upon layer upon layer upon yeah. layer upon layer yeah yeah and and seeing how the afflictions the role I mean parallel, the role the afflictions play and the acquired um, acquired afflictions that yeah. come with that yeah the wrong views, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Well said. Thank you. I had a a similar response. I didn't grow up in the South, so I didn't learn that. But uh, I learned American history in school. And, you know, for the last several years now, when more truth is coming out about what actually happened during the Vietnam War and what, uh, you know, and the Civil War too, really saying what happened in the Civil War and in the time after the Civil War, which is just as important as the war, even more important. And realizing, you know, that what I learned uh, in grade school was not true. Yeah? Yeah and that i things i was taught that were standardized things in the textbooks that we all read uh you know were not true at all it was you know rewritten history and so i you know i found myself in in some way i'm mean, being really upset about i've been lied to for a long time and you know there's no person I can point to, yeah, but it's the way people dealt with things they didn't want to look at, (laughs) and then saying, okay, are the things I don't want to look look at that I make up a story about, you know, maybe they're not as bad. As that, and maybe I'm not lying to the whole country, but I am uh, exiting left. Yeah, and making up something that's not true. I
3: think, on the personal level, that is a huge challenge of chapter six to recognize the lies I've been telling myself. Um, based on sometimes external conditioning or, you know, like it's taken me a long time to recognize one of the people I've held as, as an enemy figure is my own mother, right? And all the guilt and shame that comes with recognizing that, asking myself, what did I expect of a parent? And, yeah. you know, from TV or I look at my friend's parents and all that kind of stuff. Um, but to yeah. recognize, oh, I am really making this person an enemy and it wasted a good couple of decades. <laughs> And then to recognize they have never intended to harm me. Of course not. This Mm -hmm. is my mother. It's like, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that was a big story that drove a good chunk of my life. Yeah.
0: And I think that's true for many people. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the first person to blame? Our parents. Yeah. And then to realize, hey, what did I expect out of them? Perfection. Not to be sentient beings. (laughs) Leave it to beaver. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we have to go back and revisit all this stuff. And then we find out that it's us who have to apologize to the people we wanted to apologize to us
1: <laughs> venerable can i add though that that just even that piece of the story to 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 have some humility around the power of conditioning oh yeah that, you know that that we think we're in charge we think we know what i do think i'm in charge i know what's going on i can analyze this i can figure this out that is just a crock it's not true yeah and that conditioning just comes in without even consciousness, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. hmm What I especially appreciate about um, the way you're bringing across Shanti Shantideva's teachings is that you're sharing with us things that have worked in your practice, like which questions to ask. Mm. Sometimes it's very obscure which questions to ask, or even to ask a question. Um, like the one you posed today, like what are you really wanting when you want some to, well, someone to acknowledge that they've hurt you? That's so helpful. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Okay, let's dedicate. <laughs>